I want to do that through a lens of an experience that I had. In 2014, I was the grateful recipient of a sabbatical grant. Um, There is an entity called the Clergy Renewal Project, which is funded by, in a wonderful way, by Big Pharma. Um, Lilly funds uh, clergy sabbaticals across the country and really across the globe. And I made application uh, while serving a church in Santa Monica to take a little time off. I'd been eight years in a startup Episcopal church plant in Santa Monica, and I just needed a new perspective and, and a refresh, refreshment of my outlook on ministry and in my own personal and professional life, just to have a little margin to see what might happen next, both for me and for the congregation that I was serving. And I took some time um, over, the, uh, over the course of building this sabbatical grant request um, to get clear about how I wanted to spend my time. And the focus of my sabbatical was um, outdoors as sacred space and outdoor recreation as spiritual discipline. I sought out a number of leaders in that industry, and I spent time um, in particular with two people uh, that I admire greatly. One is a guy who named Mike Irwin, who was at the time uh, a positive psychology professor at West Point. Um, and Mike was also the founder of an organization that he now runs called Team Red, White, and Blue, which brings uh, combat veterans into relationships with civilians around um, recreational experiences, mostly uh, tied to physical fitness in order to combat post-traumatic stress. And then I spent uh, just a a brief amount of time uh, in Houston meeting with a professor from the University of Houston's social work school, a woman whose name is now familiar to many of us, um, Brene Brown, talking about vulnerability and, and how vulnerability uh, can be a vehicle uh, for bringing wholeness and well-being to our lives. I also took a little road trip around the country, um, stopping in places that were significant spiritual sites for me, including spending some time um, outside the boundaries of uh, a ranch in northeastern New Mexico, where I spent my own childhood summers. I did a mountain of reading and listening to audiobooks um, during that four-month sabbatical that I enjoyed. And I can remember, I did that before I went on sabbatical, during sabbatical, and afterwards. And I remember this moment in time in doing some prep, reading an article about a term that I had never heard before prior to the spring of 2014. It was an article around the concept of microaggression. Do you know this term, microaggression? Microaggression are are small acts, most of the time unconscious acts, um, mentioned by um, one of, of another in a relationship that tends to oppress or diminish or keep a constituency of people down. 
This was on the early rise of a more um, mainstream uh, consciousness around the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, of which I uh, have heart for. Um, and I will be honest, in, in reading this article about microaggression, my first take in the article was like, okay, come on, this is a little too much. But putting myself in a place of spiritual openness, um, I began to sit with this reality. And I began to open my heart and my ears to um, the concepts that were being taught in the article and the concepts that I was reading and listening to um, in, these, in, in these books that uh, were playing. And I, I drove Cindy's little gray Prius all around the country um, because it got better gas mileage than the vehicle that I was driving. Um, and it was a wonderful, eye-opening experience. I remember listening to Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, and, um, and having that same reaction at first, bristling at some of the concepts that he was putting forth, um, writing to his son uh, a letter to, to his African-American son after Michael Brown was killed in St. Louis, and then softening to that message and opening to the, the beauty and the tenderness and the passion and the compassion alongside the fear um, that he shared for his son. And that took me down a, a, a curious course um, of, of seeking to open my mind and soften my heart around some of the issues that we are facing um, in the culture and also inside the belly of the church in these days. Have I lost some of you? <laughs> Maybe. It's a concept that when we bring up these concepts where we do lose people from time to time, and it is never the intention of St. John's Episcopal Church to lose people. And so we can slow down and we can redirect, and we can come back together, and we can have discussions that are hard for us to have. And I look forward to our church being able to host and, and collaborate in more of those kinds of discussions in our community without excluding any voice or any perspective or any take. The work that we have to do here is the work of love. I think we all know that. So this this article that I read about microaggressions led me to some consideration around the opposite side of that. And it's something that I haven't necessarily heard scholars write about yet, um, but I'm sure it's in the consciousness of many, especially in the fields of well-being, in the fields of positive psychology and self-help. But what I would want to put forward is, yes, indeed, there are microaggressions. I hear them almost every day, even from a place of privilege. Um, at the same time, I would like to offer this reality that if there are microaggressions, there are also microaffirmations. There are things that we do with each other day in and day out that affirm 
the relationships that we have with one another that affirm the importance of human connection, that affirm our care and nurture one to another, that affirm a place in, in, in our sphere, uh, the identity of God, which we know to be love in this place. That launched me on a journey of rethinking how we in North America in the 21st century affect the care, affect the faith from the perspective of a church community. This idea of what does ministry look like, knowing that over the course of the last oh, four decades, mainline denominational Christian faith has been on the decline as we've struggled to activate the faith in our community and we've watched, um, maybe not necessarily in this particular place, but across the country, we've watched um, participation um, on Sunday mornings in worship and at other times um, steadily drop uh, during the last several decades. And I began to think in terms of micro-affirmations, that the work of a church could be to help manifest, to help fertilize, to help sow micro-affirmation all throughout communities. At the time, I was serving in Los Angeles, um, and it felt like any good deed that was done in that community was counterbalanced by 10 negative things. And it was quite a struggle um, for me to, to put my mind and heart around this work of micro-affirmation in the name of God, who we know to be love. And after I uh, had the experience of being away on that four-month sabbatical, which um, somewhat ironically, two of those months were here in this place. Um, my family and I spent um, a month together in Jackson in a rental house not far from golf and tennis. Um, and then I uh, scooted over to the Winds and did a two-week Knowles course um, in the Winds and then had opportunity to um, do some climbing in the Tetons and, and a whole lot of fishing as well with people that I loved. It was a marvelous experience. It reoriented me in a way. I think I even met Mary um, while I was on sabbatical. You know, I used to come to um, your church, which is now our church, and sit on the back row and hopefully have no one recognize the fact that I was a member of the clergy, that I could just sit in a church and be set to receive rather than send. Um, was a wonderful, wonderful gift for me. It gave me a change in perspective, and I began to build out ministry around this concept of micro-affirmations. And you, uh, those of you who uh, I have had the great privilege of partnering with, whether you know it or not, um, you are on this train, which is traveling down the tracks at over uh, 85 miles an hour. When I think about what it means to be a person of faith 
in Jackson Hole, Wyoming in 2022-2023, when I think of what it means to be the embodiment of God's love, to be God's partner in the 21st century in North America in this place, I think of so many things. I think of a coat on a cold day. I think of a phone call or a text to a friend in need. I think of a ride to a doctor or a meal delivered in a season of grief. I think of a poinsettia or a lily given in memory of a loved one. I think of a gift card handed to a local worker. I think of a power bill paid in full. I think of a space to hold a meeting for those who are in recovery. I think of a Christmas meal delivered to a congregation in Cuba. I think of a midwife who receives a medical birthing kit on the continent of Africa. I think of a mural that is made in love to celebrate and give care to children who are war refugees. I think of a pledge to our church, a prayer prayed for the well-being of another, a warm hug, a held hand, a sermon in a special log chapel in an extra special place, a baptism in a river, a wedding in a meadow, a burial in a beautiful log church. I think of a generously funded partnership with 122 and after-school programs for kiddos in need. I think of a chance to have lunch with other women or an opportunity to have breakfast with other men. I think of kids' night out and parents' night off. I think of a capital gift to rebuild an engine for love that we call browse and buy. I think of a streamed service for someone who's stuck at home or someone who just wants to be at home. I think of <clears throat> a folk song sung with friends on a Friday night or a game of cards or a choir's hymn. I think of a bell's tone for the love of God or a blue bag filled with toiletries. I think of a college scholarship or a stroller for new parents, a forehead marked with ash on a day of fasting and special devotion. I think of an enthusiastic, he is risen indeed. Think of a raft full of friends, a Christmas gift, an ice cream sandwich, a warm welcome for the disabled, a portrait of a special athlete, a hospital visit, a very last rite, a brass ensemble or a string quartet, a solo sung in love, I think of an extra hour of love or a green space providing respite on a busy summer afternoon, a warm cup of coffee on a winter morning, an altar set 
a vestry spot filled, a gift given to make for a strong year's end, a sidewalk shoveled for an older neighbor. The work of the living Jesus in this valley is oftentimes not splashy or newsworthy. It's done in beautiful, small acts of micro-affirmation of the thing that brings us together. Church, God is real. God is here. God is love. And the work that you deliver to this community, likely many of the things that you're not even conscious of, is the work of love. It is a gift to our community. And the biblical text reminds us that the proper response to a gift is gratitude. Thank you for the work that you have done. Thank you for the work that you will continue to do. Thank you for all the love and support that you have given our church and that you have given our community. I know that's an awful long talk for an annual meeting. Um, we have business to do, of course, and I'm going to invite J.R. Uh, Dalby to come forward, our junior warden, to begin some of that business. But I said the things that I said this morning so that you know that every act of business that we do in this place is framed to put us in a good position to continue to deliver the love that we give in this community and to do even more. Come on up, JR. Thank you.